Coming up on Way Down in the Hole, it's our final episode. We give you our take on where The Wire ranks in television history, and Van shares his most epic sidebar ever. All right, so if I make it to the other end, I win. If you catch the other dude's king and trap it, then you win. All right, but if I make it to the end, I'm top dog. Nah, yo, it ain't like that. Look, the pawns, man, in the game, they get capped quick. They be out the game early. Unless they some smart-ass pawns. Now it's time to say goodbye to all my Negro friends. Oh, and wow. My, and my white friends, too. And your white friends, too? <laughs> yeah. Though I, you know, I see, despite what people say about me, Van, I do have white friends. <laughs> do you? Is that a thing? I, name them. Name them right now. <laughs> you uh, know what? If I could name them, then that means that it ain't real. That would be a problem. If I'm like, Joe... You know, like, then you know? y'all be like, she really ain't got no white friends. No, I have so many, I can't name them all. Can't be now what? Be like, Monica, Chandler, <laughs> <laughs> Joey. Right. Exactly. Phoebe. I've, I've had white roommates. Now what? Wow. <laughs> now what, people? None of this is, of course, related to what we're here for today. Yes, it is coming to an end. This is the final episode of our Wire Rewatch show. Yeah. Man, man, it's like, when we started this journey... It, it 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 just went by fast because we started this one in the summer and like now we're here recapping season five and just overall giving you some thoughts on the wire and and you also are telling the infamous prom story on this episode. So many people have been tweeting us they like they have given the people have given you consent. So we're we're gonna save that to the end. So yes, you're gonna have to listen to all of this <laughs> before we get to this infamous story. So. Yeah, Van, I mean, this has been a great ride. People have been asking us to do other series. Like, I don't know about all that, <laughs> but, but this, is, right. this has been a great ride. Yeah, it has. First of all, I just want to say something, man. And it's going to be kind of, you know, it's how I am. It's been a pleasure to work with you on something. Same you're here. Such, you're, you're such a gigantic voice. One of the last unfiltered voices that we have and such a huge presence in our culture for us to be able to connect and do this and for our friendship to have grown over this entire time. I really am appreciative of it, especially, you know, given everything that's happened this year. So it's been fun. It's really, really been fun getting to know you and like doing this podcast with you. Same. It's like, I, I, I bullshit you not. I was just talking to somebody about you yesterday who just randomly asked me like, oh yeah, how's uh How's it like working with Van? And I was like, he's one of the best people I've ever worked with. You know, he's a good guy. Um, no, fuck that. You a great guy. Like, I really have enjoyed um, hanging out with you and doing this. And, you know, you just alluded to it. The fact that it's been such a heavy year. Like, this was really one of the things I looked forward to every week because it was so unlike everything else that I'm doing in this space. So it just felt good to be able to, though The Wire is quite serious, in yeah. theme, but it felt good to kind of lose myself in something that was unrelated to many of the things that have happened this year. Yeah. And and that's absolutely what it is. I mean, we were able, I mean, the wire is fun. Don't get me wrong, but we had a lot of fun talking about a lot of things that sometimes in the show aren't so fun. And connecting with the audience and just really seeing just how the themes of the show unite people a lot. Like you can't really peg down a wire fan. There's no profile. There's no profile for somebody who's a fan of the show because so many, so many of these things that 
the show discusses and goes into and dissects are so universal to society at large that there's no real way. Is it a hood show? Is it a cop show? Is it a political show? Is it a show about kids? Is it a show about the doc? What is it? It's a show about us, which is why the show has been so successful and why it's been so fun kind of looking back at it. Yeah, and isn't it amazing that in this rewatch, especially for us to do this in this year, um, in the midst of a pandemic, of a racial reckoning, of all these things happening, what is astoundingly clear is The Wire is ageless. I mean, it just holds up so well, even if some of the technology doesn't. Yes, people aren't using pagers anymore. That doesn't matter. But the themes in the show, especially as we have more serious conversations about policing in America, um, it is incredible how well that this show illuminates everything that's kind of happening today. And, you know, there's some uh, important rankings we'll get to in this, but I guess kind of my my number one question as we talk about our overall thoughts on this season and the series is where do you rank the wire in in television history? Do you still consider it? Because I think when we started, I think we both said that this is the best dramatic series ever. I think you may have said just the best TV series ever. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, it's the, I'll put it to you this way. It's almost a, it's an overall sort of ranking and an overall distinction, but also a very distinct distinction. The Wire is the finest work of art um, in television history. Oh, wow. Are there shows, work of art. <laughs> your work of art. Are there shows that are more entertaining to watch than The Wire? Yes. Are there shows that are more dramatic? Yes, that you get more entertainment. Are there shows even with more tour de force acting performances? Yeah. But when you combine The Wire and every, all of its parts together, like you say all the pieces matter, into a work of art, there's not a finer artistic achievement on television ever than The Wire. Because to me, art is supposed to be provocative. Art is supposed to be introspective. And some shows take you to another place. They take you to a world that you don't understand. But very few shows uh, unpack the world that you're living in and make you look at it differently like this this one does. Actually, I don't think there's another one that comes close. So I, I would say that to me, yeah, The Wire is the, fires, the finest work of art that, that television has ever seen. Man, I'm not going to let you gloss over the fact that I think I just heard your dog. Oh, yeah, that's Bozeman in the back. Is he? Yeah. Is he can, you, can you hear that? Yeah, I just heard it. Like, what's happening yeah. with your dog? So I am in here recording, and then Kalika is gone. So he's in there by himself. Oh. So he's freaking out a little bit. Oh, it's a, it's so it, it, I mean, he's in the he's in he's in the crate, but he's wondering like, where are mom and dad? That's so lovely. So that's how far we've come with this podcast. When we started, it, Van didn't have a dog. Now he's a got dog. a dog. Now I got a dog. <laughs> now he's got a dog. He is it, it's, it's aged us <laughs> to yes. this point. But yeah, everything you said is so true because like I don't know of another series that simultaneously captures life and a city as well as The Wire did, because Baltimore in itself is a character yeah. in this. And and I think that's why it purposely ends the final episode with a view, a pan of the city, of a, you know, like they're right there on the freeway and you see the city for a moment. And then McNulty's like, let's go home. Home being Baltimore. Like they, it was meant to be a character in this in this city, more so than I think, say, New Jersey was a character with the, with the Sopranos. You know, this was even bigger than that. So still for us remains 
best series of all time. And I agree with you, Van, that it's a, a work of art. All right, now let's just talk about season five. I admit, this is the most pleasurable season five experience I've had. I don't know if it's just being able to talk with you about it or just taking more of a critical look, but I have been extremely harsh on season five. It is still my least favorite season. However, comma, calling, like, it just feels so disingenuous to call it a bad season. I can't, I will no longer say this is a bad season. It just wasn't one of my favorites. But it 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 is a couple episodes in this that you could put against any episode in The Wire that are just truly, truly exceptional. So season five kind of regained some status for me, if you will. No, I agree. I I I think it's just easy to like say, yo, because of the serial killer stuff, because some of the turns that the season takes, that season five is the weak season. And I think that. As people, you want there to be a wax season of The Wire. There's something inside of us, especially in the way that we consume art, that we hold a standard, right? That's why The Matrix 2. Like, The Matrix 2 would have had to been so good. It would have, it, it, it wasn't, right? It wasn't, just, but it wasn't. But it, the feeling that you got when you saw The Matrix, like, you can't recreate that. So when you sit down in the seat, it's almost as if you're looking at the movie and you're asking, okay, what you got for me now? Because I know what you've done before. What you got for me now? All right, give it to me. And you're watching it to enjoy it, but you're also searching for the same feeling that you had when you watched it for the first time. I think season to season for The Wire, the reason why season two and season five get such a bad rap is not because they're necessarily bad, but because they're unfamiliar. Because there are things happening in those seasons, both two and five, that we can't really connect to other seasons. The dock in season two was a place that we had to kind of wrap our arms around, right? It took, took a little while. Are there a couple of dud episodes in season five? Sure. But I really do think that once you watch the series again and you look at the way season five had to bring everything to a halt, it's not a bad season of television. It's a great season of television. It's a season of television that really compares pretty favorably up to the other seasons of the show. So this is why I think the degree of difficulty for The Wire, and part of the reason it makes it the best series of all time, is that they establish such a degree of difficulty that you're right, you're constantly chasing that. However, the thing is, they did it multiple times, which is why season five is a letdown, because this is at the end. Like, you... Everybody was like, after season three, like, they can't get any better than this. And then they went completely away because they had killed off, you know, Stringer Bell. Avon was in jail. They had completely basically reduced the Barksdale storyline to nothing. And then they killed you. They got you with season four. And so your expectation after four was like, they just did two of the, the best seasons in television history. So you take all that into season five. And of course you think, surely they could go three in a row. They could do it. They could go three, four, five and just kill them. But that's kind of not what happened. Like season two is completely understandable because it's sandwiched in between two great seasons. So, sure. and then they take you to in a completely different part of town, a totally different environment. And you're like, what? It's such a, it's such a curveball because you have begun to get hooked and really entrenched in the whole Barksdale clan. And so I get why people feel that way about season two, but I feel like a season five by that time, guys, 
we like we're ready, we're primed. And it was like, we just gonna have them do this fake serial killer shit. It's like, what? Like what what are we doing? <laughs> nah, to, to you know, all fair points, I would say, and this goes with any show, we just kind of went through this with Game of Thrones. It's a lot easier to build characters than it is to end them. It's a lot easier to build stories than it is to end them. The one thing that the rest of those seasons were 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 kind of buttressing up against was that they were all their own ecosystem, every episode, every season, right? To where there were characters that were being taken out of the show and characters that were being built into the show. So you had the sense of finality once a D'Angelo is gone, right? You have the sense of finality once a Stringer is gone, but you're still building characters. You're still building characters that are going to live for a while in terms of uh, a Marlo or Chris or whatever. There's one thing you should say about season five is that the characters that they introduced, because they weren't going to be around for very long, and they knew that they weren't going to be around for very long, weren't quite as compelling as some of the ones in the past, like Gus and Scott. It was cool to watch, but they don't really compare to Marlo or Chris or Snoop or even Carcetti or some of the other guys like that. But that's also because we had to get to know these characters for a short time and then we had to say goodbye. They were only on the season, on the show for one season. So season five had a lot of obstacles to overcome. But, you know, when you watch it, it's fucking fantastic TV. Yeah, it's still and a good watch. It's still, it's still a good watch. And man, look, I say this all the time, and I'm sure he takes it as a diss. If you, Tito, you still in the Jackson 5. Tito was on the road getting Tito. Listen, man. Tito got more ass. <laughs> he was playing that guitar and getting ass. You t- I'm Tito Jackson. You, you, do, do, uh, everyone would be excited to meet Tito unless they thought they could meet Michael. You'd love to watch season five unless you unless season one was on the uh was on the other channel. So like season five is fantastic. Is it Tito Jackson? Sure. But Tito Jackson is a fucking rock legend. Let's not forget that. But you know what? If you if if you want to take it to Jackson five members, you know, you could argue later, like when they were adults, because the only time I seen Michael Jackson in concert was when he was on on the Jackson tour. And this was like when I was like five years old and uh, five or six years old. And, and my stepfather had actually won tickets off the radio to date. Right. The only person I've known who have won some shit off the radio. He was like, Kalika won. Really? We want like she won tickets to go see uh the Watch the Throne tour in oh, Vegas. Oh snap! So we were, we went to Vegas and uh, we saw it, and then we saw it in L.A. And there's no reason to ever see a concert in Vegas. People in Vegas don't give a fuck. They're too used to it. Like people in Vegas, like when you go going to Vegas to like going to a concert in Vegas. It's like going to the supermarket in Vegas. You don't want to see regular Vegas. That's not what right. you're there for. Right. You, you like you don't like don't go to like the supermarket in Vegas because then that's like not Vegas. Now you, you get to see what's really in Vegas, and that's not what you want to see. You want all of Vegas to basically be the strip, and it was just way more way more off the chain in LA. Wow, that's a that I mean that's a that's a good analogy. But yeah, when I saw the Jacksons, you know, this is when they're like grown or whatever. I, I you could you definitely make the case that Tito is not the most useless Jackson. The <laughs> most useless Jackson might have been Randy while you played. Randy. Like, Randy, Randy what did Randy do? Right. Like, Randy right. didn't... 
you know, and at that time, I think he was, I think he's like the youngest, right? Yeah, he's and the so youngest. He's the youngest. So, you know, he was definitely hot, you know, back yeah. in, in, in the in the early 80s or whatever. But like, he had no use. At least Tito was like, at least I'm playing an instrument. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Randy just, Randy just wore cool clothes. That was it. <laughs> like, he came out there kind of looking because he was the youngest one. And he was the one that was kind of the most wild. Uh, but he just kind of wore cool clothes. They put him in there. Yeah. Randy had, Randy had, like, Jermaine, you know what he brought to the table? You know what I'm saying? You know what the other Jacksons brought? But, like, Randy? I don't know about that one. So, season five can survive being, being the Tito, for sure. All right. Well, you guys know how we do it here. It's like we usually give out some season awards. We'll give out some season awards and also just some overall uh, Wire awards in terms of talking about what we think are the, the best episodes. And also the MVP of not just this season, but the MVP of the Wire period. But uh, for now, let's start with uh, where we usually start when we do these awards. The best performance. Who did you think Van had the best performance of season five? It was tough. It, it really was tough because there were a lot of different levels and a lot of different layers to it. And it was really, really hard for me to narrow it down. Okay, so these are the finalists. McNulty. I feel like McNulty really, to me, just going back and forth, really had to do a lot of acting in this season. He also directed an episode, uh, Dominic West, in, in season five. Dominic West, Minolte. I felt like Omar had a lot of work to do, Michael K. Williams. And then I had Gus. Mm. I felt like Gus, it was a very understated performance in season five. He had to show a lot of simmering. It's very hard for actors to simmer. And he had to, to wrestle with a lot of different things, a lot of weighty things. So for me... If out of those three guys, I'm gonna go ahead and give it to Dominic West as McNulty, because I feel like the character a actually was had to like transform into something that hadn't been before, and because the character had to transform into something that hadn't been before, you saw a different side of McNulty, and you saw him kind of actually try to come to terms with what it was that he was. Now, as I say that, I remember who I actually wrote down, which was Andre Royo as Bubbles. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, I couldn't find it on the page. I'm sorry. But it's between me, Nolte, and Andre Royo as Bubbles. Uh, bubbles the whole time. But you give, it, you give it to Bubbles? Is I that, is to that bubbles. your final answer? That's okay. my final answer. I'm sorry, guys. I, I, like, look, I had there's so much. I love this show. It's kind of sad doing this episode, it's, but this I, is I really, hard. It's Andre Royo as Bubbles. Yeah, no, Bubbles was was spectacular. It, uh, it, it's definitely the best storyline in, in The Wire. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think it's Bubbles because. It gives you a little bit of everything. You know, you have somebody who spent so many seasons and Andre Royal talks about this in All the Pieces Matter, the book by Jonathan Abrams, about how how relieved he was that Bubbles got a payoff because he had been, it, it, based off how he characterized it, he had been kind of tired of playing a drug addict. Like, that's mm. all he did. He had got he got tired of 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 looking crazy of you know uh, dressing the way he had to dress to to show he was living on the streets like he got tired of the, the despair even he yeah. was tired of it right. and so he was so happy in season five that his character took the turn of the getting clean and um then coming to the realization that yeah he's done some horrible things he's betrayed people you know he's behaved as an addict but. Bubbles had to accept that he was actually a decent and good person. And it was one of the most compelling storylines of this season, you know, which was, of course, engineered by the death of, of, of Sherrod. And so 
I thought that where they took his character was really exceptional. That being said, I have McNulty as the best performance. There you go. <laughs> so you're covered. <laughs> We're covered mm-hmm. either way. Right. So... We saw a lot of very typical things about McNulty that we had seen before in previous seasons where he's arrogant, he's reckless, he's not sober, <laughs> he's cheating. Like, self-destructive McNul- McNulty was in full effect. However, what made this season different, I think, was that McNulty was actually starting to own his own shit. You know, this was like the thing about when he got clean before and when he first found Beatty, it was such a hard turn that I don't think he really accepted the person that he really was. And this one where he's wrestling with whether or not what he's doing is right. In previous seasons, he would not have wrestled with that. He'd be like, it's right. Mm -hmm. But like he did a little bit in season one because he felt like his actions led to Kima being shot and almost killed. And so there was definitely a sense of remorse there. But this was different because you got the feeling when he had that final scene where he gets in the car and he goes to get Larry, the homeless dude that he quote unquote abducted, that he's realized finally that everything that people have been trying to tell him for five seasons, which is this job is not going to save you. You have to detach yourself. You know, his addiction wasn't women and it wasn't booze. It was the job. Mm -hmm. That was what came more to the surface, I thought, in season five more than more than anything else. So for me, it was definitely McNulty giving the best performance um, as well. Yeah. Now, uh, I will say one thing about McNulty. Mm. So it's interesting what you said before about the first time he got clean and stuff like that. He was a first time Christian during that time. Like being yes. from the South, you meet people who are first time Christians right you there. You can first, always tell. Mm-hmm. You can always tell. Yeah. Like it's sometimes it's empowering to be around people who are so sure about something. You're like, damn, like they know. They know everything. They ask scripture for everything. Everything is their first time. They're on fire. Everything. They're, they're sure of it. Then what happens is a year in, two years in, life starts to intertwine with that, right? They start to have a couple of disappointments and they're like, wait a minute, God, like what happened? Like they, they start to kind of deal with it. And then the ones that stay with it, they more get, they get a better understanding of how to live their lives based around the ideals that they have here on earth. And it lasts for a long time. And they, they become like not perfect people, but they become understanding people. And they'll come back and say, listen, yeah, I had a couple of drinks or I did this or this is what I'm trying to do. And it starts to become more about not the person they are, but the person that they're trying to be. And I think that's kind of how the thing with McNulty, it wasn't, at first, he was, boom, he was on fire. He was into it. It was easy. It felt good. It felt good for people to look at him and finally feel good about him. But in, in season five, he's more of a veteran to it when he comes back around because he now has a better understanding, not of who he has to be, but of who he wants to try to be. And it's not in the execution of it that makes you a good person. It's actually in the trying, mm. if you're trying. Yeah, the you know intentionality. I mean? yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would I would definitely agree with that because, uh, you know, he he starts to accept what his flaws are. And I don't think he was really quite that accepting, you know, before. And we know what happens when he gets on a cause like he has no disregard, no regard, rather, excuse me, for anybody else. So definitely a different McNulty that we saw this season. OK, uh, our next category, best boss. Who was the best boss in season five? Oh, uh, Gus. That's, that's who pretty, I have to like. It's, it's a pretty it, to me, easy it's, one. it's like no question. Like Gus is yeah. the best boss. Right? Yeah, like Gus. Now, Gus isn't the best boss because 
he actually was able to get things for his subordinates. No, a lot of the people that he loved got fired and moved out, and there was nothing that Gus could do about it. But Gus was the best boss because he did what a real boss and a real leader should do, was he set an example for people. He set an example for people of what they're there for, what their mission really is. And he always had their back, and he didn't take any shit. And that's really what a boss slash a leader should do, is they should set an example for people that are coming up behind them about best practices, about integrity, and about the way you go about um, doing your job every single day. And Gus was able to do that, man. Look at you using that corporate word, best practices. Ah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Or my, my, my other favorite corporate word is learns. What are your learns? learns? I'm what like, are your learns? Yeah, yes. learn, learnies is what right. I have to say to people exactly. say that. So I, I think it's unequivocally Gus. And and obviously, me being a journalist, he his character was near and dear to my heart because he was a, he was committed to the craft. To me, Gus's best moment in this whole series was when uh, he found that small item at the end of the city council budget. I think this was when they figured out that the city was giving some money to, to I think it might have been Fat Face Rick. And he found that item like buried deep into the city budget. I think this was what it was about. And he brought it to everybody's attention. However, he didn't take the credit for it. He, he gave the reporter the credit for finding it. And that's mm-hmm. a good boss because like, a lot of times, as we know, bosses are, we've all worked with people or worked for people, rather, where it was about their own ego, about them looking good. He was very happy to see his reporters shine. Mm-hmm. And his relationships with both uh, Alma and Fletcher, the young reporters, that's what you, that's the nurturing that he was giving them is like what you want an editor to do with a young journalist, where he's just trying to get them to really understand what they're in this for. And, you know, him telling Fletch when he came back to him and said, hey, I met this guy, you know, talking about bubbles or whatever. And he was like, you know, just kind of stick around him, see what's there. Like he wasn't on him about like turning over a story. And because he had that approach, he wound up writing a great fucking story about bubbles. So Mm -hmm. love Gus. Um, I've worked with a few Gus's in my time as a reporter. So I I definitely can appreciate an editor like him. All right, the opposite of end of this, who was the worst boss in season five? <laughs> there are a lot of guys out there that I felt like could have been the worst boss, but, you know, I'm actually going to give it to McNulty. He was also the worst boss. <laughs> um, yeah. I like, see why you say that. <laughs> McNulty was the worst boss because... You know, he realized how much being a boss actually sucks. He hated the boss title. He didn't deal with it very well. He didn't tolerate it very well. It, he was stressed out. And he was he did one thing that a boss can't do was he lost control. He totally like, did. Everyone was coming to him and blackmailing him and using him and everything like that. And it, it ended up being a very stressful situations. Now, none of his underlings really suffered, but there was chaos created once the inmates there were running the asylum. So <laughs> yeah. I got McNulty as the worst boss. Yeah, suddenly he's getting blackmailed by his own plot, <laughs> by right. his own scheme. It's like, what? Exactly. No, it's, it's true. I think the worst boss was Prop Joe. By mm. far. Wow. Because Prop Joe... So the, the fact that... Look, working with family is probably never easy for anybody. But... Mm-hmm. What she's did, and for that matter, 
it's it's not just the fact that he failed to ever put cheese in check, which ultimately led to his death, but he for him to think stupidly that he could civilize Marlo was just such a miscalculation. But does that make him the worst boss though? Man, he gotta he... be better than that, man. Like you <laughs> You got to be better than that. Like, right. you, you, you know, I, I get that the, the overall goal, in a way, he was a good boss because the overall goal was to get Marlo to join the co-op. Right. But somebody that has shown so little regard for anybody else that has been as ruthless as Marlo, for him to kind of take his eye off of him, for lack of a better way to put it. I mean, Prop Joe's whole approach with Marlo was killing him with kindness. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like, why would that ever work with that dude? Like, that's not gonna work. Well, he thought that he was dealing with a species he understood. Yeah, but see, the problem was he thought he was dealing with Stringer. You're not dealing yeah. with Stringer. You're yeah. dealing with somebody who has no desire other than to be the king of Baltimore. And so well, it's just wasn't like... meant to play the son. He was never meant to play the son. And Marlo could not have made it clearer in how he moved and operated, that he was not going to be that dude. So, at any rate, gross, terrible miscalculation for Prop Joe, and he paid for it with his life. And, and you know, the fact that Cheese was the one that did him in was so poetic because yeah. he knew that Cheese, when when Cheese all of a sudden has all his money, like, he, he knew that his nephew wasn't shit. And right. I get it. It's your sister's kid. What can you do? Right. But I mean, yeah. Just like, like, you, you, like, Prop Joe... You're essentially giving Prop Joe a bad award for being a family man. He was a family man. There ain't no such thing in in this game. He was living in the same house from back in the day. (laughs) Right? They They don't give a damn about that. It's just like, what are you doing? All right, so now... To me, one of the more difficult categories, as it is every season with The Wire, uh, what did you consider the best scene of the season? Oh, it's not actually Omar's death. Mm. It's not the best scene. It's actually not Michael saying goodbye to everyone. Great scene, all these scenes. To me, the best scene and the most poignant scene is after Omar's already dead with the coroner when they're mixed when the names get mixed up. It's just it it gets me. Yeah. It it gets me that our boy didn't matter. I have to believe that they knew how powerful that was. But as a man now in my life who sees the world around him and sees just how much he wants to impact and affect the world around him, to watch a show where a specific character impacted and affected so much, was so feared, was so absolutely haunting, so respected to the viewers and to the hood, and then to watch him be completely almost deleted. I almost don't have words for it. Like Omar was such a big part of the show and his life never got to the point to where it had any weight to it in a certain way. I'm sure, you know, the hoods of West Baltimore are going to remember Omar Little forever and they'll talk on him forever. And that's probably... You know, if he cared about having his name rank, his name rang out, what he would have cared about more than anything. But just it's the theme of the show to me. There's a world going on that those people that are being exploited just can't connect to. And there's nothing in that space that they can do to get past that. In the first episode of The Wire, 
the detective says to Stringer and those guys, I'll be chalking you guys out someday. You know, he says that to them and they laugh, but he was right. And those guys are the biggest fucking dudes where they're from and they're going to end up just as statistics and they all did. Stringer dead. Stinkum dead. Stringer and Stinkum killed by a guy they hadn't even met yet. Omar, right? Weebay in jail. Their whole lives that people are living where they think where the stakes are so high to them day by day and these lives aren't even moving the needle at all in society. We're not capitalizing on these people's talents. We're not capitalizing on what they bring. And when Omar, everything that Omar is, he did not get a hero's death. There was no 21 gun salute. There was no even funeral scene for Omar. He ended up as a hospital mix up. I can't get past it. You know, I just, you know, I I can't get past it. Not only do I want my life to matter and to mean something, but I want the lives of so many other people to matter and mean something. And that scene just means a lot to me. So it's the best scene of the season to me. To me, what separates The Wire from other shows is that you know that if this were in the hands of probably 90% of writers or directors or series creators, they make Omar go out in a hail of, of gunfire. That they mm-hmm. make some overly dramatic scene standoff between him and Marlo, and that's how he goes out. But I thought it was so poetic that he gets shot by a child, that he's a brief in the newspaper, and that when he's in a morgue, they mix up who he is. Like, that, to me, spoke so much louder than any gun battle or any dramatic scene or anything like that. Right. And I remember watching season five the first time. I thought when he leapt over the balcony that that probably was going to be it. I was like, oh, there it is. It's done, you know. And at that time, I probably would have been happy about that. Like, happy as in like, okay, yeah, I get that. That's how it goes. But the way that he died, for him to to die that way, it was so stunning, like, Canard, like of all yeah. people. And especially when you realize they have been grooming this since Canard was a little kid. It was just, to me, that was just brilliant television. Mm. For me, though, the best scene of season five was when Mike says goodbye to Daquan. <laughs> you remember that one day summer pass? We threw them piss balloons at them terrace boys? You remember just before school started up again. <laughs> you know? I took a beat down from them boys. I don't even throw a shadow on it. <laughs> that was a day. Y'all bought me ice cream off the truck. You remember, Mike? That was the best thing. That was the one where I was like, whoo, who cut onions in here? And mm-hmm. especially, what makes that scene so brilliant is that they're both equally brilliant in it, and all the dialogue is what Daquan has. He has all the dialogue, right? Yeah. But just with his gestures, And just with the fact that I think we talked about this before when we broke down that episode, you don't know if Mike doesn't remember it or if he's trying to forget it. Like, you don't know which one this is when Daquan brings up that very first episode of season four when they filled the balloons with piss and and tried to get back to people that had beat him up. Like, that seemed like such a long time ago, even with the way it's set, it probably was maybe like a couple years tops, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Like, it wasn't even that long ago. And to know what happened to each of the people that were in that scene and for him to just be remembering a time of when, even in that environment, things were still far more innocent. Like, it hadn't come to the point where Mike felt like he needed to be a killer on the run. 
right. and to to bring him back to that place. So I, I just thought that scene was just exceptional for so many reasons. And it was also the turning point where Daquan is basically about to take embark bubbles. Embark on his new life. Embark on his new life and essentially become the new bubbles. Um, yeah. So that was just Really, really spectacular. Also, uh, probably a bit of an unfair question. I don't, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. Coming into this rewatch, what would you have said was your best scene? What you thought was your favorite scene ever in The Wires uh, across all five seasons? What would, what oh, would you just see? See this? This the kingpin, all right? And he the man. You get the other dude's king, you got the game. And he trying to get your king too, so you got protected. Now the king... He moved one space, any direction he damn choose, cause he's the king. Like this, 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 all right? But he ain't got no hustle. But the rest of these motherfuckers on the team, they got his back. And they run so deep, he really ain't gotta do shit. I like your uncle. Yeah, like my uncle. And you see this? It's the queen. She's smart, she fierce. It's the go get shit done piece. And this over here is the castle. It's like the stash. You move like this and like this. Dog, stash don't move, man. Come on, yo, think. How many times we moved the stash house this week? Right? And every time we move the stash, we gotta move a little muscle with it, right? To protect it. True. True. We right. All right. What about them little bald-headed bitches right there? All right, these right here, these are the pawns. They like the soldiers. So how do you get to be the king? It ain't like that. See, the king, stay the king, all right? Everything stay who he is, except for the pawns. Now, for pawn, made it all the way down to the other dude's side, you get to be queen. And like I said, the queen ain't no bitch. She got all the moves. The chess scene is the deconstruction of the entire mythology. It's what it's, it's, what yeah. it's all about, yep. The, the, the wire lays all its cards on the table early and it continues to reinforce it to the viewer. Like, this is how things are. It's not going to exist outside of this. Okay? You might, you, you, there might be a couple of outliers. Poop might get a job. Bubbles might get clean. But for the most part, this is the way things are. Mm-hmm. And so after writing such a brilliant scene as the chess scene, the trick then was to stay true to it. Right? And not get lost in it. And the, the show never did. Yeah. I mean, I, I think those are the scenes that register the best in The Wire, the ones that explain essentially what the entire series is about, what exercise you're in. And it did it so early that because you didn't know what was to come, you didn't probably appreciate it to the very end and be like, oh, my goodness, the best scene was that one. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And to that point, for me, it's still when Omar testifies. You say you aren't here testifying against the defendant because of any deal you made with police. True that. That you're here because you, you, you want to tell the truth about what happened to Mr. Gant in that housing project parking lot. Yep. When in fact, you are exactly the kind of person who would, if you felt you needed to, shoot a man down on a housing project parking lot and then lie to the police about it, would you not? And look, I never put my gun on no citizen. You are a moral, are you not? You are feeding off the violence and the despair of the drug trade. You're stealing from those who themselves are stealing the lifeblood from our city. You are a parasite who leeches off Just like you, the culture man. of drugs. Excuse me? What? I got the shotgun. You got the briefcase. 
song the game though, right? Because mm. it breaks down the whole game in one court appearance. Like yeah. him being on the sand and breaking down just how the game works. And he's the only person in probably any scene that has upstaged uh, Levy in terms of intelligence and brilliance or whatever. Like he he made a mockery of him right there. And so mm-hmm. to me, that still remains like a great scene. Plus he's doing it in a tie <laughs> that he just ties around his neck for no reason other than to continue to make a mockery of the fact of I'm a criminal and I'm the most honest person in this room right now. Right. Yeah, real tip. Yeah, that's 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 essentially what Omar was trying to, to tell people. More Way Down in the Hole is on the way. Now let's go on to some other awards here. Who would you say Van is the coach of the year of season five? <laughs> coach of the year is season five. It was tough. I'm going to give it to Daniels. I give it to Daniels because Daniels had a system. He had a way. I mean, he wasn't the coach of the year because you could easily give this to McNulty because his coaching moves ended up and whatever, but there was so much. But I give it to Daniels because Daniels was the coach that says, hey, look, you're playing in my system. It's my way. You know, he's uh, the coach that gets the guy in there, that gets the Nick Young type prospect in there. Shout out to Nick. It's like, listen, if you're going to play for me, you got to play some defense. And the, the guy doesn't do it, and he has to trade him away. It's the coach that set a standard. And in a season where there weren't very many great coaches, even though you could easily give it to, to, to Gus, too, or you could give it to Marlowe because a lot of Marlowe's moves ended up getting Marlowe to where he was. But I'm not going to give it to success. I'm going to give it to the standard. I like to mm. see, I think longevity in coaching is when you set a standard. And so I'm going to give it to Daniels. Daniels set a standard. And to be honest with you, he died by that standard. But I, I think the standard is probably going to make guys like Carver better policemen in the long run after they've after they've been around Daniels, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's... He's like Tony Dungy with the coaching tree, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, to, exactly. Some, to some degree. This one was a tough category because to me it came down to two people and for two very different reasons. It came down to Lester because Lester is is clearly coaching Sidnor, who, you know, he's taken under his wing. And the fact that Sidnor is like, I'm down with the shenanigans now, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. He's trying. And, 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 you know, he has been sort of grooming Sidner in many ways for a few seasons now, getting him to understand what's a real police case, what it's like to be real police. And the other I thought of was Prop Joe. Even though he died, he taught Marlo game, okay? Like, he put mm-hmm. him up on having his money overseas. He introduced him to Levy. I mean, he, he really, I mean, he, I mean, granted it was by force, but like, you know, that's the whole reason that he was able to get the plug with the Greeks. Was mm-hmm. it was like it was through you know sort of the the flow of Prop Joe. So he helped. He he was a kingmaker. He just didn't think it was about to cost him his life. So exactly. No, I it, get it. Yeah. So, but ultimately, yeah, I decided to give it to Prop Joe because you know without how Prop, you gonna give Prop Joe coach he's of the worst. year and he's and worst boss of the year. Look, <laughs> it's about extremes, you like, man. Oh, uh, you like the Olympic judges over here? <laughs> how you gonna give? He's coach of the year. Hey, I just said it was dumb of him to do that, but it was effective. I mean, he did he did make him a king. He made him king of Baltimore. He helped that happen. Like okay. it, it was extraordinarily effective. Right. Too effective. That's I'm why he's dead. Think, I'm trying to think of a coach that coached a player that eventually killed him. 
Well, you know what it's, 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 it's happened it, a lot of this, times. This Kawhi is like, Leonard, Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard, yeah, that's Kawhi true. Leonard. Oh, Great. Marlo is Marlo is Kawhi, and Prop Joe is Pop. <laughs> Even though he couldn't kill, he didn't kill Popovich, but uh, Popovich saw Kawhi, saw the value, coached that brother up, and I guess he didn't have enough frequent five miles to give to Uncle Dennis for Kawhi to to, to stick around and, and, and be there. He killed him. Yeah, could you, could you say situation. This, could you say the same about James Harden? Right? With Mike D'Antoni? <laughs> a little like, bit. A little bit. But not, but not the same, because James Harden might end up still with Mike D'Antoni. He might end up... Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, right, that's by the way, By the way, at the time that we recorded this podcast, James Harden is a member of the Houston Rockets. Right. So that's what I'm saying. So we don't yeah. know. Yeah. So we don't know shit. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely say that. Though I was, I was thinking, when you said, like, who... Who ultimately, you know, kind of killed their coach to to some degree. Some of LeBron's coaches don't survive either. Ty no, Lue didn't did. make it. Mike no. Brown didn't make it. <laughs> they coach of the year, and then the next year they're fired. <laughs> the only one that made it was Spolstra, and that's just because Pat believes in Spolstra. Spolstra is a great NBA coach. Yeah, he is. No, yeah. I mean, I think he's proven that. And, and it's not like LeBron is trying necessarily to be a coach killer, but it's just. A certain path of success is established, and then when they can't maintain it, shockingly, without the best player in the world, they they get fired. Here's the deal, LeBron. I I said this years ago. LeBron is also, is simultaneously the best and the worst thing for your franchise. He it, it's this. It, I've never seen anything like it. LeBron is LeBron. Don't when LeBron leave, he don't just kill the coaches. He kills the restaurants around the arena. Everybody eats, and then everybody's broke. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, especially in Cleveland, like there, there were people, uh, there was this this really funny video back in the day. I'm, it's not a sidebar, but uh, it, the video was poking fun at Cleveland. And it was like a Cleveland theme song. And one of the lines in the song is, our economy is based on LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Anyway. But no, I mean, Miami survived because it's Miami, right? It's Miami. And you have- and you have Pat Riley, and, you know, as you mentioned, Spolstra has proven to be a pretty good coach, so they were able to survive. I, I guess Prop Joe, uh, he's Lenny Wilkins. Lenny mm-hmm. Wilkins had mm-hmm. the most uh, NBA victories and also the most NBA losses. <laughs> so, yep. like, yeah, I guess he, that's that's who he is. All right, that's our coach of the year. Now on to six-man of season five. Who would you say, man? It's interesting. Six-man, I normally give six-man to somebody who is, like, I, I tell you, I have a J.R. Smith standard of six men. Come in and heat it up. Come in and heat it the fuck up. And because of that, I'm actually going to give six men of the year to Omar. Mm. Because there's no way to really say that Omar was a starter in this season. He is a wire starter. Right. No Overall, doubt about it. Yes. Overall, he is a wire starter. But this is a Carmelo Anthony season for Omar to where he's accepted his role as being a subplot to a subplot to a subplot. Now, you might say that he has always been that in the story. I disagree. I think his stories, his storylines in the past have been way more integral to the things that were going on in the show itself. You know, he's never he's always been an integral part, but his singular revenge tour here had less actual ramifications for Marlo 
than it did and or for Prop Joe. It was more the ghost of Omar is what they use. Whereas in other in, in past seasons, the things that Omar was doing directly had ramifications on organizations falling apart, on the cops getting tipped off on things and putting guys away. This one, he was a little, a little bit more sort of on the back burner and we were just kind of riding his character out to the end of his wire career. That's why I would give it to Omar. Yeah, no, that's a good choice because like usually he needs... You were used to seeing so much more significant impact throughout an entire season, but he's missing from a portion of this. And then when he come back on the scene, he's like on the scene hard. So like he get he gets, I'll just say he gets less reps than he had in previous season, and he makes the most of them. To that end, yeah, like you, I look at I look at usage, I look at efficiency rather, not usage rate. And so to me, the sixth man of the year is Snoop. Efficiency. Wow. Every scene yeah. <laughs> delivers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then sometimes yeah. it's just a laugh, an observation. It's like whatever it is, like in every scene, her presence is known. And obviously she had one of the the more memorable scene, if not overall in this series, with her death scene. Smart nigga. You always was. How do you know? Y'all taught me. Get there early. Why? What I do wrong? Chris locked up behind something he done for you. And you downtown with the police? I ain't say a word. Yeah, that's what you say. But it's how you carry yourself. Always apart, always asking why, when you should be doing what you told. You was never one of us. You never could be. How my head look, Mike? You look good, girl. That whole scene, even though, you know, uh, Mac Wilds, Michael is great in it, but she just delivers like three hardcore swipes with the, uh, you know, with the the Hanzo sword, when she's just like, you can, you can never be us. Yeah. Yeah. So you <laughs> like, like, you like more of a Montrez Harrell type of six man. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I think that's a, that's a good comparison. All right. Who you got for uh, most improved? Uh Oh, once again, a couple of ways I could have gone here. But I give it to Bubbles. Not just most improved in terms of, you know, just most improved. His life. His <laughs> right. life. Right, his um, life improved. <laughs> uh, his life improved. Also, Bubbles had a low-key season four. And so I, I gave it to Bubbles. Not too much. I just, I literally went with most improved. That's who you got. Yeah, I got Michael because I think he took a huge leap in terms of his presence, in terms of what his character meant to, to the season itself. Because, even, I mean, in season four, he's outstanding in that. But when you look at season four, there's not a lot of real estate in season four, right? And so uh-huh. the way it ends is sort of like, okay, you know something's coming with him. Uh-huh. But then season five, you know, he's more full throttle. He's a trade killer in season five. You know what I'm I saying? Know. No, no, I get it. I just think, I feel like Michael was the big winner of season four because all of the storylines surrounding the kids it ended up standing on his storyline in a way. Right. Michael and Michael and Naaman. Michael mm-hmm. and Naaman too, because we talked about Naaman. But yeah, it's an interesting choice, but I, I, I get the logic though. Yeah, yeah. The logic is just that because he's now a train killer and then on top of that, he starts to develop in a way that they had not anticipated. Like where he begins to, like he's indebted to Marlo for taking care of a bug's dad. He's indebted to him. He's indebted to Snoop and Chris. But he begins to question the entire operation in a way that they're not used to being questioned. So it just it just felt like he leveled up in a lot of ways from where he was in season four. It certainly leveled up in terms of, again, now being a mercenary and then 
also just growing into manhood, where he established himself as a leader. It was always there because even with the things he did in season four, like the way he used to check name and the way he stuck up for Daquan, so much so that like he's now the breadwinner of a family he created for himself with yeah. his little brother and and Daquan. So winning that bread by knocking people block off. Yeah, exactly. All right. Who is your rookie of the year, Van? <laughs> Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Right. You got to give it to an impact rookie. Right. Like Scott Templeton was an impact rookie, man. I'm not going to let these awards get by by not giving my buddy Scott something. Scott, you piece of shit. (laughs) Now, uh, now look, I think the guy that plays Scott, I think he directed Spotlight. Yes, I think you're correct about this. Yes. Um, Which, by the way, Spotlight is a fucking fantastic movie. Great movie. (laughs) Like, Spotlight is like a... Spotlight is a fantastic, like, a ridiculously good movie. So it was was crazy because we watched The Wire and a couple years later, a couple, four, five, six, six years later, Spotlight comes out. Yeah. And Spot came on and he did his thing, you know? I like... Tom McCarthy's work. I like the station agent. I like all of that stuff like that. So, no, I give it to Scott. Yeah, and plus he was able to, in many ways, you know, kind of salvage what the newspaper storyline had some ups and downs, in my opinion. But, you know, Scott was able, but just by being an embodiment of, like, a lot of things that we face in corporate, uh, corporate America, by being this, like, caricature of, like, that type of person that exists everywhere in the workplace, it's just like, okay, yeah, he did his thing. So good choice there. Uh, I went with Gus, though. <laughs> okay. yeah, you you know, Gus. Gus, best boss, the conscience of this whole newspaper storyline. Uh, that was my dude. Shout out to Gus. All right. So in the interest of making sure that we get this prom story in the way we supposed to get it, I am going to skip to our MVP of season five. Van, who do you have? Ah, man, it was tough. It was super duper tough. I do want to say that I am giving out some other awards. I'm giving Defensive Player of the Year. You are going to just go ahead and wrap it up. Just real quick, just real quick. Yep, go ahead. I'm going to give Defensive Player of the Year. To me, it was very easy, Defensive Player of the Year, leaving. (laughs) That is true. That's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) Leaving easily. Easy layup for Defensive Player of the Year. And... I'm going to give a new award, Dime of the Year, Assist of the Year. Ooh, what was the, who got the Assist of the Year? Herc, man. Oh, Herc. God. Herc, Herc got I mean, the he Dime did, he, of the he, Year. Yeah, he won the he Assist get, Award. He Herc got him came the number. With the number the I, he I, came through with the number. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, eat. Around the, around the back, like the little Chris Paul joint. Ah, Chris Paul. Ooh. He, he uh, hit him I, with I, the no look. I did. You hit him with the no look right there. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so I would say to me, the MVP of the season is Bubbles. Bubbles to me. Uh, obviously, the, the, I don't have Lester for anything. I'm sorry, Lester. But obviously, there are a lot of people here, and there are a lot of great character turns here, too. We didn't talk that much in this episode about Kima. And I just want to take the, uh, the time out to recognize Kima's character as being consistent throughout The Wire, always being sort of the, uh, the conscious of the show, always being sort of the measuring stick by which some of the other things in the show were either looked at as viewed as positive, negative, good, bad, whatever. Kima continuously kept herself. Even when she lost herself, she got back there and she ended up being that and blowing up the whole homeless killer's lie during this. So I want to shout out Kima. I want to shout out Bunk. Yeah, like Bunk was also somebody super consistent. 
super right? consistent, both yep. being good police through mm-hmm. and through, all of that. But uh, the MVP is Bubbles because I talked earlier about Funny Games, a movie directed by German filmmaker Michael Hankey. And the, the setup of the movie goes, these guys, it's a home, intru- uh, home invasion. They kidnapped his family. They psychologically and physically tortured the family. And there's one part in the movie whether you watch the original version or the American remake with Naomi Watts and Tim Roth, where the woman gets away. When the woman gets away, one of the intruders picks up the remote control to the television and rewinds the scene back to before she got away, and then her escape is thwarted. The filmmaker in this situation says that after you, after that scene, you should know that there's no reason for you to continue to watch this movie because it's just going to be the method by which you're just watching and participating in the method by which these people are tortured and eventually murdered. Get that. The Wire can often feel that way. You're watching a lot of things, you're watching a lot of degradation, and you don't get very many wins, if we're being real. Yep. You don't get very many signs of that things go right. And the show mirrors life to such a degree to where it sometimes feels like feels like you're kicking yourself in the nuts for nothing. Even with Tony Soprano, like the show is all about Tony. So when Tony has a good day, you have a good day. If Tony has a breakthrough with Dr. Melfi, you have a breakthrough. If Tony gets some ass, then it's almost like you getting some ass. If Tony comes out on AJ after AJ's been acting crazy, it's almost like you're like, okay, finally, you got to this little guy. You feel a little, you get some endorphins from him. The Wire is weird because when the cop wins, the dope dealers that you like, they lose. When the dope dealers win, the cops that you like, they lose. In order to get money to your police guys that you love, then you got to be okay with the school kids losing. So the show almost never gives you an opportunity to win except for one time. That's when Bubbles gets clean. Everybody can agree that Bubbles making it out, that Bubbles getting to the other side of it, after having watched everything that he's been through through this entire show, is a reason to have watched The Wire. If you break it down to one character, and if you break it down to one thing that you can that you can leave the show with feeling great about, you can't leave it feeling good about whether or not the drug dealing is going to go on in the inner city. You can't feel good about whether or not the cops are going to really patrol the streets in the right way. You can't feel good about politics. You can't feel good about the school system. You can feel good about the fact. If you have to feel good about something, not everybody does. You can feel good about the fact that once in a while, people beat their addictions. Once in a while, people are able to destroy the things that are killing them and that hold them back. And that character played beautifully by Andre Royo, beautifully by him, to me, ends up being the saving grace of the show. And so I give it to Bubbles. That's a great pick, just because, I mean, you're so right about The Wire. I mean, so much of it is spent gut-punching you, Yeah, right? And this is, and there were many times with Bubbles where you felt like this dude is never going to get out of this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he loses Johnny. Um, He has a role in killing Sherrod. It's like, how much more can happen to him? He essentially Mm -hmm. has a nervous breakdown, you know? And so it's, and even when he got clean, his unwillingness, the shame that he was carrying was just so prescient like all the time that it was just like, this guy cannot catch a break. 
You know, he's been bullied, beat up. Like, it's just like so much has happened. So it felt good to see somebody kind of get a win. Now, with that being said, with everything that you said, would you consider Bubbles to be your series MVP? No. No. Oh, who would be your series MVP? Who did you Omar. think was? Omar. It'd be Omar, huh? Yeah. Omar, yeah, the, hero of the show. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I I agree. That would Omar would be my series MVP for sure. How he, the presence, the handprint that he had on this show was just undeniable and unmistakable. And, you know, I think he's the best character in the series. Now, my MVP for season five is not Bubbles, actually. Interesting. But, yeah. And, and I agree with your choice. I thought, like, your choice was great. My MVP for season five is Lester. <laughs> because, wow. Yeah, it's, it's Lester. And, you know, here's the thing. Lester, he did something that I that was totally un-Lester-like when he decided to join in with McNulty to try to mm -hmm. do it. And right or wrong, Lester never lost sense of the purpose. And then for him to brilliantly turn an L into a win. Like, Clay Davis was an L for... That was set. a fucking L. Yeah, that they was got an L. No, they, yeah, you're right about that and one. He, that, you're definitely he right. flipped that shit. And because he of the way he flipped that, and then for him to find out that Levy had a leak, okay? That's what brought mm -hmm. the whole house of cards. Like, you know, Lester's brilliance as a detective and his ability to maneuver and operate out of what was a pretty bad situation is like... Mm -hmm. It was really quite stunning to see. I mean, it, even though ultimately he didn't bring down Marlo in the sense that he didn't send him to jail, but he brought down Marlo. Right. Marlo's not dealing drugs anymore. He Marlo, can't. yeah, yeah. He, I mean, they won. They didn't get their collar, which is, a, I wonder how they feel about that. They didn't get their collar, but they got they got Stansfield off the street, for sure. They did. Um, and they probably don't see it that way. But they, the I'm other, sure they don't. <laughs> right? But, but the other part, too, is he took away the thing that Marlo valued the most. And that was being the king, you know, being the big dealer, uh, the big dope dealer in Baltimore. And he took all that shit away. Mm -hmm. And to use Clay Davis to do it was even more brilliant. He walked away, retired. He got Chardine. I'm like, yo, Lester uh, won. Yeah, yeah. Lester won. You're making a good case for Lester. Man, he Because a lot of people won, but they didn't win no young. Dang, dang. You know what I'm but saying? Lester did. Oh, he, dang, met her on the, he met her on the job. Okay. Mm -hmm. He got her out the strip club. He took her off the pole. Right. Lester got a, a nice little woodworking business or whatever the hell that the doll making. Dollhouse miniatures. Yo, he got his retirement, his pension. He good. Lester he won. Good. And he, he helped won. make Baltimore a safer place. So, good, and, good my, and, and by the way, my defensive player of the year was Carcetti. Because you want to talk about to turn some L's into some W's. This motherfucker is a governor. He's a governor. Got the yeah. flimsiest record ever, ever. right? Yeah. What did he yeah. do? He didn't do shit. Right. They had a fake serial killer running around, right. right? It's like he got a shitty school system. He's still governor riding off a fake issue of, of homeless victims. It's like, what? Can you think of another politician that was kind of lucky to get to where they were? Not lucky, but I'm about to make a comparison that people are not going to like. <laughs> Uh-oh. That means you got to make it. So. There was a politician from a state called Illinois. I'm not saying he was lucky because he's very accomplished. He's one of the most accomplished politicians ever. But it just so happened that there was a congressman in Illinois or a senator that uh, his wife was on a TV show and then they were going through a thing and he was having an affair. So there was a special election. This guy ran against Alan Keyes. Then this guy got elected 
and to be a senator from Illinois, a senator for a couple of years, and which just happened to be the right time to jump into the presidential election. And then he won that. So sometimes <laughs> you don't have to be at your old job for a little, listen, singularly gifted and the most qualified ever, but still, God damn it, things got to line up right. Right. Because when you think about the record, it's like... It's like... Yeah. Okay, things things got to line up right. I'm saying, if that dude wouldn't have cheated on his wife, the st- whose wife was a Star Trek lady, and it wouldn't have been so, it's a possibility that none of it ever would have happened, or at least not as soon as it did. Maybe it still would have, probably still would have, but at least not as soon as it did. Senator and then president just put that thing thing uh, uh, on the whole country, and then boom. But so it seems like a long, I, long time ago. I got one better, though. Oh, do you? Okay, let's go. It's the current occupant of the White House. It's like that oh, is that. That's just like. But see, but you want to talk. <laughs> like, but you want to talk about a, like a, a chain of events, though, right? right? A chain of events. Okay. Mm-hmm. If the former senator from Illinois doesn't insult the current occupant at a roast, mm-hmm. current occupant might not be in the White House right now. This is a great Twitter question. Who is a more unlikely president? Barack Obama or Donald, or Donald Trump? Trump? Yeah, I mean, this dude—he started even getting into politics because it was just—it was a way to stay relevant. It was a way to keep his name out of there. It was a way to make some easy money. Think about the first time Donald Trump mentioned running for president. It was a joke, like yeah. literally a joke. Yeah. And then it's like he gets to go down as being number forty-five, 45. Through, a, through a confluence of circumstances. That's like, how did this happen? Right? Right. Yeah. So. He he might have won up it, but yeah, when you think about some of the records, the the records that people have had, because he, I mean, Ronald Reagan had a more extensive level of experience. He was a governor for he like was a eight governor. years. Yeah, he's a governor, right? Yeah. Bill mm-hmm. Clinton was a governor, right? A governor. It's like usually it's a certain amount of experience, and then it was just like, yo, he hadn't been in it that long. The way he got it, he gets blessed by Oprah, and next thing you know, boom. By the way, <laughs> governors governors taking the L. I haven't been a governor in the last two. Yeah, I mean, it's normally governors. You don't even see governors talked about as much anymore. H.W. wasn't a governor. Reagan was a governor. W. was a governor. Yep. Clinton was a governor. Normally it's governors, but they're, right. they've gone away from governors. You haven't heard about a good governor getting, getting, getting a nod in a while. And even on the front of the next next, you're not hearing about very many governors. Man, you governors, get on your shit. Get on your shit. Y'all lacking. <laughs> all right, man, we've gotten to this moment. All right. And let me just say for the record, by by the consulting the committee of one, which is me, I think your greatest sidebar, Twitter believes, I, I feel like the, uh, the the people believe that it's when you walked in on your parents. Okay. Right? That's a great one. Top three. And it ain't three. All right. But I don't know, man. I, I think the one with the dudes, your your guy dancing in the underwear and then getting shamed for that might be number one. That might That's be funny. number one for me. So see the, that one, your our deep dive into the male stripper world. <laughs> Thanks good. to you. That's it. Those, those are my three right there. So, but apparently the story you're about to tell now is going to be number one. It's you go, you about to drop the mic on us. Please, the floor is yours, Van. The prom night story. Okay. Not sure if this will be number one, but it is the most dangerous to tell. All right. Okay. So junior year, I got a car. Nice car. Old 88 
Taurus, blue. But the paint was coming off the hood. The paint was coming off the top. I loved the car. I can still smell the car right now. The biggest leap in adulthood ever is not when you turn 21. Because you think once you turn 21, all you're going to do is drink, go to the strip club, and buy beer. But really, it becomes more of a, just a thing. The biggest leap in adulthood ever, to me, is when you get your first car. The reason why I say that is because you go right away from not being able to do whatever you want to essentially being able to do or go wherever you want. Now, it's not asking somebody to bring you somewhere. It's coordinating with your parents where you're going to be. Hey, I'm going to be here. I'll be back this time. Hey, I'm going to be here. You always have to coordinate where you're going to be with somebody. But you can go wherever you want. So I had this car, and we was riding. We put some miles on it. I remember we bought the car. I think my, my dad paid like $1,700 or $1,800 for it or something like that. We bought the car, and um, me and my boy Ryan, we were on the road. Now, when I would go to school, there was a friend of mine. For the sake of this, we're going to call this guy Michael. Michael was the first person that ever asked me to use my car. Like, no one ever had the nuts. Like, that's not a thing. That wasn't a thing for me. No one ever. He's the only person that ever borrowed the car. Because I, I would be, I had a girlfriend, and her and I would be chilling. And he would be like, yo, Van, can you, can you run me somewhere real quick? And I'd be like, nah, just, you know, whatever. Just take the car. And so, you know, you'd see him driving my car. You'd see him around in the car. You'd see him doing different stuff in the car. Uh, and it wasn't a big deal. At all. And people knew him because he didn't wear socks. He said that on the football field, he needed to be able to, like, he would tape his, he would tape his toes sometimes, but he needed to be able to feel how he was pushing off. And he said not wearing socks made you faster because hmm. you could feel the ground or whatever like that. Okay. Okay. So, prom night. Prom night goes pretty good. Okay. Dinner, then the prom, everything happens. This friend of mine, Michael, he had a hotel room. And it was like, after the prom, you would come back to this hotel room and everybody would hang out or whatever, whatever. Nobody had a curfew for this particular prom. And so we we're going to go back there and chill. So after prom, everyone was doing whatever they were doing. Everyone was hanging out. The limo drops me back off in my car. And me and my prom date go back to the room. This is at the Motel 6. So we go back to the room. It's only three people in there because apparently there was another party or another room or another thing that people had gone to. So there were only three people in this room. So we go back and it's the three of us and her and I are on the bed and he's on the other bed. And he then goes, if you guys want some private time, I'll give you guys some privacy time or whatever, whatever. And he goes, Van, can I borrow your car? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Like, you know, because I want him to get out. And by the way, it wasn't it wasn't like I was like, yo, get out of your own shit. But it was kind of like, you know, I, you know how you I was every once in a while. I was like, hey, man, man, my car outside, man. You know what I'm saying? You got the car. Dog, you know, it's a car outside. If you wanted to go somewhere like I don't know the Zimbabwe or to maybe Sydney, Australia or something like that, you could easily leave and go wherever you want. The world is your oyster, my nigga. My car is outside. It's outside in the parking lot, friend. So he eventually took the hand, got up and left. So he left and we do what kids do. Not kids, but grown-up kids. 
like, you know, kids that have been doing it. We, we, and this was, and it felt different. I'm not going to lie. Because once you use to the backseat of the 88 Ford Taurus, this was the first time that we had ever been in a bed together, ever. It was couches. It was, hey, before your parents get home, real quick, real quick. A couple of times outdoors, all of that stuff like that, but like never in a bed. It was the first time ever for me in a bed was in the Motel 6 in Baton Rouge. True story. And so this is where the story gets a little disgusting and a little personal. See, here's the thing is that I wasn't quite prepared for the moment, so I didn't have what would be commonly known as a condom. So once again, life could be a lot different. I'm serious. I'm 40. It could be a 22-year-old nigga right here going, yo, dad, come on, man, dad. Like, yo, man. Or I could be getting somebody, I could be going, getting ready to go to a college graduation or something like that. It could easily have gone different is the point, but it didn't go different. Easily. There could be a guy right now getting ready for the NBA draft or playing football at LSU or a, a, a young lady right now playing soccer, getting ready to go to Harvard. Could be a kid. Didn't happen. By the way, it's a lot of times it didn't happen, right? All right? A lot of chances for kids. But you know what? I keep coming up with that $250. That's what happens. Every time somebody gets pregnant, magically that money appears. Planned Parenthood, what up? But, uh, but, but uh, it's a joke, guys. It's a joke. It's never happened. Uh, maybe. Because here's the thing. At that age, you have different powers, meaning it really doesn't stop. Now, you have one section of it. It stops. You got to eat some Popeye's chicken, okay? Did y'all really re- have Popeye's and you just threw that in there? <laughs> oh, no, no, we didn't have it. It was too late. But I'm saying this, but I'm saying now, though. Now, oh, now, now. Though. After okay. now, you got to stop. Mm-hmm. You got to regroup. Yep. Give yourself a pep talk. Like, hey, you know we got to go again. But now, but then it was like, <laughs> eh, right back. Right, right. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even lose the thing. <laughs> right. like, it's, it's like, right, okay, like, hey, right back. Uh, so this one particular time, the the orgasm time, it snuck up on me. And, I, you know, you don't want the kid, because right away, because for me, what always would happen for me is, right before it would happen, I would get this little shot of clarity, just a little shot. You know what I'm saying? The Jesus quickening would come. Right before then, that would say, hey, that happens, that means baby. And so, what happened was, my homeboy who had left, his stuff was still in the room. And so right before it happened, I pulled out and got all over his shit. (laughs) All over his stuff. All over his book bag that was there, his bag, his pants. And specifically, it actually pulled in his shoes. And I was like, oh, shit. And, And she looked. And she laughed. And I was like, I was like, yo, that's not funny. I mean. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was like, yo, that's not funny, man. So his that's, pants, is this the stuff that he wore to prom? No, he had, we had all changed okay, by this point. Okay, all right. So the stuff, whatever he had, like he had put his stuff down. So he had changed out of whatever. It was, I don't know, like he had basketball shorts on when he left the room. Okay. But there was a pair of jeans. There was a pair of shoes. Like some like some Nike like running shoes or whatever, maybe some Air Max, and then his bag. Not to be graphic, I told you guys this is a graphic story. I remember there being they like, gave their oh. consent. <laughs> I remember there, I remember there being like a long shot and then like a slow 
thing. It was a long one that was like, ooh, and it was, I, I was like, we gotta, I was like, well, yo, we gotta wash this nigga shit off. And she was like, what do you mean? What do you think he's gonna say if he comes back and his shit is all wet? I was like, but yo, we gotta, I'm like, yo, this is not funny. This is one of the, like, I, I was like, cause I'm like, this is my man. I'm like, how do you explain this? So we're sitting there and, and I'm like, I felt bad. I really felt like I had wronged him. It's a difficult feeling to be like, damn, man gave me the room. I didn't nut on this nigga shit. So I cleaned up things as best I could. There were still spots on it. I don't know if you guys know. People don't know, but it's hard to get out. It's, it, it's a, it, it stains. It leaves right. a stain. People right. know. Like, if you go to somebody and you look down, you'd be like, yo, nigga, what's this on the couch, bro? Let me know if it's going down on the couch because I can sit somewhere else, you know? Right. Genetics. So anyway, I'm able to get it basically off, like using the, I'm, I'm basically, get it off most of the place. I'm able to get it off the jeans, able to get it off this bag. I remember it was a black Jansport bag and black was the worst color because it oh, was like. Oh, because then it's, it's going to leave a real mark. Yeah, it's in between yeah. the, little, the little seams there. You can see it. It's not coming out, like, you know? But in the shoes was kind of the real thing because it got in the shoe, like o- over the side of the lid of the shoe, like in the bottom, in the thing. What, what the kind shoe. of shoes were they playing? Do you remember? They were like, they were low tops and they were like either Air Max or something, but they were low top shoes. I remember like reaching around the edge and getting it and really like taking a, like a, a, a towel and like cupping it, getting it out of the shoe. It was one of the better shots of my life and getting it out of the shoe. I remember I'm like, okay, well, that's good enough, right? I, I guess that's going to be it. And I'm looking, and she's like, just to let you know, like, it looks like something happened to those shoes. And she's like, really? I mean, I think we should, we should, we should really wash the shoes and send them out to dry. I'm like, I don't want to tell this dude why we had to wash the shoes or whatever like that. So it's like, whatever. Remember now, the momentary sort of pause comes to the fact that there's, there's naked girl. Right. So naked girl, whatever. It's like not going to be a big thing. It's not going to be a, a, a you're not going to stay a long time on the problem solving. It's like, all right, we did our best, naked girl, whatever. So we're there. We go again. We sleep. We wake up. I look down at the shoes and you can see the dried up shit inside of the shoes. You can just, I mean, you can see it. Like, I'm, I'm like, this guy's going to, he's going to ask. I'm like, okay, what are we going to say? We're going to say that we spilled something in the shoes that it's like, it's something, whatever, whatever. But when we wake up and we leave, we don't see him again. He doesn't come back and he doesn't even bring my car back. Like I end up having to leave, go home and change and then come back. And when I came back, he was just leaving out, right? He was just leaving out. He's like, here's the keys to your car. So I'm like, okay, cool, bro. I'm like, where'd you go? He's like, oh man, I went across town. It was crazy, bro. I was like, like what, what happened here? And I'm like, nothing. It was like, it's like a regular night. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you, you, y'all, y'all was in there doing what I was like, nah, bro, we really didn't. We really didn't. We then go to this park in Baker, Louisiana. All the like the kids are there that was at prom. We're going to, we're about to go play football or whatever, whatever. I look down on his feet and he is wearing the shoes. Oh, dear. And for whatever reason, I never looked at him the same. Wait, you had the nerve to judge him? I did. <laughs> I never looked at Man. him. Like he is like, he's, <laughs> he's wearing the shoes. And I, I don't know if I looked at us as being closer 
I don't know, and you hear Bozeman crying because he knows some fuck shit's going on in this room. It was something that for a while, I actually had to tell, I had to tell other friends like, bro, I did something really fucked up, bro. I didn't even try. And he was like, what? And I, I, I told maybe one person, I think my boy Ryan knows this story. And it, it was pretty, as sidebars go, See, the thing is, the people that are involved in this are going to know. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. But really, when you look at it, it was the most accidentally disrespectful thing I've ever done before. But that all happened just like that. I remember the whole time, and he looked like maybe he was actually even performing better. You know, he was his cuts was a little sharper, maybe. You know, because he was... That's some special sauce that helped. He was running. He was. He that was, does not count as a performance enhancing drug. I just want you to know. I don't know, man, but he was. He was. Uh, he was. He was walking on some clouds. So, to this day, he has no idea. Nah. Why nah, did you remain silent? Like you just don't want to. Like, what's the fear in saying, like, "Hey, man"? How do you? How do you tell somebody that? How do you go, yo? Bro, I, I, I nutted in your shoes, man. Like, it was really. Yes, it was definitely an accident. But yeah. that's, you know, I know it may, because you didn't want to go there. You didn't want to no, do that. No, so it's like, not yeah. At all. It's yeah. not. It's, it was wrong. So let me just say for the record, and for those listening, that indeed is the greatest Van Lathan sidebar ever told. You did not disappoint my friend. I didn't know where that story was going. I'm like, okay, did something happen with the girl? Like, I'm just, this is like the undoing. I'm trying to put together, I'm thinking I'm in a whodunit. I was like, is it going to be the girl? Did she do something trifling? Is it going to be Van? Did the friend do something trifling? Like, I'm just trying to figure out the moving pieces. It was all of those things that came together to make up a really weird You guys are all, well, maybe not my man with the shoes, but like, y'all are complicit. Like, she's an accomplice. And then she's uh, an she she was she's the a, most level headed one. She was like she was like, why don't you just go wash your shit off? She was like, that's why don't, what she's I like, was just, wondering. I was like, man, why did you do that? Because I mean, like, how do you to, explain? How do you explain to but somebody? But you could have made like, something up. Like you didn't right. have to. You know, yeah. I just want to know how he didn't like on his clothes. Like that I is, just it it did. He like I, I'll be honest with you. The you think he knows? One thing, the, the, he's got to know that something got on the backpack. The backpack was defiled. I'm sorry, man. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm remembering it right now. You know how you remember fish bigger than what you caught them? So maybe I'm remembering more of a fire hose, Peter North, than it actually was. But he he had to know something about the backpack. He had to. He just had to know something about the back. The backpack was, I remember I was trying to wipe it off and she was laughing. I'm like, yo, this is not funny. Like, I mean, it was kind of funny, though. <laughs> I'm like, homeboys don't do this to each other. This is not, this man let us use his room. You know what I'm saying? And like now I felt really bad about it and I still do to this day. This was actually cathartic because I've never really, I could have brought it up in therapy, but this is better for some reason. I'm glad that it helped you. And uh, before we close to all those people listening, tweet us, do you think Van's friend knows? Do you think he knows? I'd love to hear what you guys think. And of course, feel free to chime in with your own ranking of Van Lathan's infamous sidebars. One of many yes. things I'm going to miss so dearly about doing this with you every week. Van, way to go out with a bang. Way yes. to go out with a bang. And I Literally. didn't mean, I, 
I, that yeah. was not meant as a pun, but uh, right. I guess it applies. All right. Yeah. But this has been fun. Thank you guys for this journey <laughs> and this ride. For listening to us. I'm gonna um, get beat up. Oh my God. This is gonna be so <laughs> epic. I'm like, woo, I'm gonna tease the shit out of this on Twitter. I'll be like, hey right. y'all. <laughs> Van that into somebody's shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is gonna be crazy. So, at any rate, uh, this has been a, a really fun journey. Thank you all for sticking through with us. 60 episodes we broke down. Um, it, it's been very enjoyable, and hopefully, you came away with a deeper more intuitive understanding of The Wire than you had before, or you just like enjoy watching the greatest series of all time all over again with, you know, two of your favorite friends. So if you didn't have any black friends, well, you have two now. So there you go. (laughs) Yes. So long. Be well. Stay safe. Hopefully 2021 is much better than 2020. So thank you guys for listening. 